I heard those words and I stopped the video. I started to tremble and I rewound it and I listened to it again. And on the second time, it literally cracked me open like a walnut. And I just doubled over and just bawled. Hey there, my name is Sean, and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives, and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, well, we're not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations, and hopefully better conversations, with attempt survivors. I'm certainly going to keep trying. Now, we are talking about suicide, so this may not be a good fit for everyone. Please take that into account before you listen. But I do hope you listen, because there is so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I would love to talk. You can email us at hello at suicidenoted.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at suicide noted finally i really just want to say thank you thank you to our attempt survivors who have come on to this program and shared so openly and honestly and thank you to all of our listeners around the world this is our 33rd episode i plan to keep on doing this as long as there are people out there who want to share their stories and people who want to hear them so thanks again i really appreciate it Today, I am talking with Will. Will lives up in New York State, and he's a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Will. What's up, buddy? How are you? Dude, this is only the second interview I've ever really done. Really? You know what I mean? It's usually Tim and I interviewing people, but I haven't, I haven't really done a whole lot of interviews. Well, I so appreciate I've, you doing it, man. Dude, I appreciate you asking me. Why, or perhaps a better way of asking it is how did you come to be comfortable or open to talking about it, particularly outside of your close circle of friends, family to people like me? I never really opened up to my friends. My family kind of found this out on accident because they didn't realize that I was as depressed as I was at the time. And I, and to be honest with you, I didn't realize that I had a lot of grief, a lot of loss that I never fully processed. I also have a mother who is severely mentally ill. She has schizoaffect disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, She's actually attempted twice. What I started to do was find myself putting an idea together and then saying, okay, how can I make it happen? What am I going to do to make it the point that it wasn't anybody's fault? It's just the pain that I'm in. Mm -hmm. So 2012, it was the second week of December. And we came home from our Christmas pictures being taken for our Christmas card. My daughter was only a year and a half. The little Foley family, Will, his wife, and his his young daughter. Yes. Yes. And we got home that night and my wife didn't realize how depressed I really was at that point. My daughter went to bed that night after we got home from our pictures. My daughter's room is actually on the opposite wall 
in the bathroom that I was in. And I remember looking in the mirror and saying that if I can find a way out of this before she turns two, then she won't have to grow up with somebody like me. She won't have to grow up with somebody who felt like a failure. Mm-hmm. I, and I looked in the mirror and I said, okay, I got to find a way out. I got to mm-hmm. do something and I'm, I'm, that's it. You know, this, I'm resigned to this, that this is the way it has to be. Because I said, at least if I go now, then by the time she's older, she'll only hear stories of how I should have been or how I was and not had to live with the pain. Now, granted, seven years later, I know a lot more about it yeah. than I did then. How long have you been married at that point? Uh, since 06. All right. So several years together, you have this daughter. Yeah. Looking at yourself in the mirror. Yes. And you are, however you define it, you're saying, I'm on out. I'm going yep. to plan a way out. What did that look like when you were planning it? How specific did you get? Uh, I got specific enough to say that it was going to be turning the car on and putting myself to sleep. I know as a suicide prevention person that talking about method and talking about means is not positive talk in this, but I do find it that between adults, it's fine. I think it's important that we talk about it. I don't think you should be telling us specifically how to take the hose, put it here, do this. And just so you're essentially giving someone like directions. Right. Uh, but absolutely think uh, that we should be talking about it because it's part of your story. Yes. Uh, so by all means, you have permission here to do that. I mean, I would have had the ways and means. And that was the plan. The plan was to put a nice soundtrack together and and take some pills and go to sleep and not have to get up again. So wait, hang on a sec. Pills or carbon monoxide? Both. I would have taken the pills, sat in the car and done. Listen to your music. I, and for those, yes. so, and I was on Will's podcast, which we'll talk a little bit about. I learned there that he and his podcast partner, who was also a guest on this show, we're having this crazy little triangle. Uh, they are mad into music. So I'm thinking, did you have your uh, playlist set? Well, I'm a procrastinator. <laughs> okay. So, and, and, I, and I will say this, procrastination yeah. is probably the thing that saved my life in, in reality. Because I overthink everything, and that's the problem. I start thinking about everything. So, yeah, my playlist started to come together. There were certain songs that were going to end up on that playlist. Yeah. And there's and there's songs that I still love. They're just songs that mean some, something to me, and that if somebody was to pick up that CD, they would know that it was pain. It was my way of, of solving a, a problem that was solvable, but I just didn't see a, see a solution at that point. Yeah. There's a lot of people that think of themselves as failures. You're talking to one of them. Yes. They've never gotten that close to suicide as it sounds like you got. This is a tricky one, but like, do you know the difference between the person who never thinks about it, the person who ideates and plans and arguably maybe even the person who does it? Like, is there any way to know the difference of those things? I don't think from the outside that you can, because there are certainly plenty of people who have attempted and have attempted many times and have not, and luckily have not been successful. I didn't understand the difference between ideation and just thinking about it and then actually starting to have the the wheel start turning and start Mm -hmm. going, okay, well, I can do this. I can do this. It was definitely an eye opener, but even 
even at that point, nobody really knew what was going on in my head. I didn't, I wasn't even sure I did. Were you talking to your wife at all about it? She knew I was depressed. So I had a succession of things that snowballed at the time. I had been in a car accident in 2009 and I got whiplash Mm. and that whiplash became whiplash syndrome. And I have not had a pain-free day since 2009. Mm. But in 2012, I was still working as a letter carrier and I took a set of stairs on my back and I hit every stair on the way down. Being the hero at the time that I was trying to be, I got up and I didn't call in. And that started a succession of issues with them. And I went to my doctor a couple of days later. My doctor promptly pulled me out of work and said, you're not going back to work. And that started this whole snowball of, oh my God, what am I going to do? Yeah. So I was literally home after working seven days a week, working every day, pretty much since I was 15, whether it was playing music or working a job, okay, to literally being told that. I can't go back to work and I'm going to need surgery and a surgery that could cost me my voice. It could cost me mobility in my neck and and all these issues. Mm-hmm. And then we had already, we had just bought a house a month and a half earlier and just moved in and the mortgage uh, payments, a, are still mortgage there. payments, you know, I, I got a one and a half year old kid and I was feeling really, really trapped. And I was feeling really low, felt that I had let my entire plan of life just be run over because I made decisions along the way. And I felt that I was never going to be able to regain uh, a levity that I didn't realize that I didn't have. So that October, I was pulled out of work and I found myself in the house every day. Looking back at it, the thing that saved me was actually going to the library. And I was trying to fill my head with stuff that was going to overpower the bad thoughts, but the bad thoughts just kept coming. Yeah. So it's a fight, man. It's such a fight. It is a fight, dude. It's it's, yeah, it's a struggle and the struggle is real. That's not a cliche. The struggle is real. Come that December when I got home that night, I just, I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. I couldn't listen to music at that point because music just, hurt me so much. It just hurt me to listen. I couldn't feel the music. I couldn't hear the music. I didn't want anything to do with music because I had felt I had sort of sold out the music a long time ago. And And you're not going to any sort of counseling or therapy? Not not in December. I started with therapy in January of 2013. My first therapist was a joke. He was more concerned with his broken arm and not being able to play basketball than he was me. The first appointment was the same as the last appointment where he asked me, he's like, oh, can we go back to what happened to you again? Like he just had no concern. I was on some antidepressants at the, at that point I was, I had muscle relaxers in the house and I know I'm kind of skipping around, No, it's all good, but, man. It's, but dude, it's really a lot of just depression, a lot of walking around the house, a lot of just empty, just like despair. I had yeah. never felt despair like I felt despair. Yeah. Yeah. What I didn't realize is that insight came to me within the last year that I've actually been depressed since I was like nine. And I can tell you exactly when that happened. And it happened right about the same time in December when I looked in the mirror, which is crazy because I, I, I've always had the seasonal affect part of it. Like I always hated fall. I hated the time change. I don't yeah. like at 4 30 when it's dark. 
I, I just, it, it really bothers me. When I was nine, I remember looking out my front room window and it, I just felt this thud off my chest and I didn't, didn't think anything about it. And it literally set itself in me. Like I could just feel it implant it. I didn't realize it until many years later. Obviously having a mother who has, who had her first hospitalization when I was five, made two attempts. She jumped out a window and then she tried to overdose on some of her medication Wow! Uh, over the, over the course of like three or four years. That's a thing that does not just. Well, right. And, and when you, when you mentioned about doing the best you can, people can only do the best they can with what they know and what they've experienced. So absolutely. You take take what you mentioned. If you grew up in a household where things like that were going on or happening to you, you're going to be a victimizer or a victim. Probably. Yeah. You know, I I mean, most likely I don't study that stuff, but I think data supports that for what it's worth. At least it seems like that. And when you look at a lot of the things that we've learned, I never put any of this puzzle together until the last few years of really doing the work. So December turned to January, turned to February. I had gone upstairs to take a shower, but I was drinking and I was popping pills. I had probably down like seven or eight pills, different pills. And I had no intention on anything happening, but I went to sit on the couch and lo and behold, I'm out, I'm done. My cell phone happened to be on the arm of the couch. It's ringing off the hook and something made me come to to answer the phone. And when I looked at it, it was already five after 6 p.m. And my wife was on the other end screaming at me, why haven't you gone to pick up your daughter? How long had you been out? A couple hours. I literally got up, tried to shake the cobwebs off. And thank goodness that where my daughter was, they knew us very well. So they didn't call the police because had they called the police, I'd have been hauled off to jail because I was that off came to and I went and picked her up and I was in no, I should have probably never been driving or anything like that. When I got home that night, my wife's like, what is going on? And I'm like, look, I don't really know if I want to live anymore. Like I'm having that hard of a time. Yeah. Yeah. I I told her I was having a really hard time. What'd you say to that? How'd she respond? You remember? I don't remember how she reacted exactly, but I can tell you that is, it's something that has affected our relationship. Those things have affected us for sure. You know, I really tried to get a hold of being normal again. So I, I went back to the doctor and and I told them what was going on. And my doctor asked me if I wanted to go someplace. And I'm like, no, I'm better off being home because going someplace right now, I don't know what that's going to do, what that's going to do to yeah. me. Now, I didn't realize that I was also under investigation for workers' compensation fraud at that point from the postal service. Now, I didn't do it. Right, right, what right. I did, What I did wrong was I didn't follow my doctor's orders and I wasn't supposed to drive. Got it. So me driving, they started tailing me and I have a case file this big. Someday I'll let everybody see it. Pictures, everything. I didn't realize it until later in 2013 when I finally had a date to have surgery on my neck. When I get a call the day after I got home from the hospital saying, oh, you need to come and see me because you're under investigation. So that February after that incident, I really had a a wake up call, even though it didn't get the feelings out of me at that point until about three weeks after that. And I was looking through YouTube and like we were talking about spiritual stuff. um, I found Mm -hmm. Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer is a spiritual teacher. 
Kind of yeah. looks like us, bald dude. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Absolutely. And his big idea is don't die with your music still inside you. Mm. I like that. I heard those words and I stopped the video and I could, I, I started to tremble and I rewound it and I listened to it again. And on the second time, it literally cracked me open like a walnut and I just doubled over and just bawled. I sobbed. Mm. I looked up to the ceiling and I'm like, okay, what do I do with this? I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know if I can come back from this. I don't know if I'm coming back from any of this. I, I got through surgery. I was out of work for almost over a year. I found another job, which, you know, I, I should have probably always known that I'd been able to, but what happens to somebody when they get that low is the confidence is gone. Yeah. And I've never been a very confident person anyway. I don't have a lot of self-worth. I always had leather skin, even though I showed, didn't show it on the outside, sure. it sure. affected me on the inside. That'll fuck you up presenting one way, but it affected you, man, eventually. Well, eventually. Yeah, it can't last forever. No, dude, it can't. And, and when you have to finally look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, is this really who I am? Or is this who I am? Who am I? Who the fuck yeah. am I? And especially as a dad, I'd imagine that's like another. That's another level altogether. Right. Like I can't imagine having a child and that whole thing about that. I just, and again, I don't have a kid, so I don't know, but it certainly, I would imagine adds to the whole emotional muck of it all. Well, and when you had a childhood, like I had with parents who weren't really available, my dad was, was an alcoholic for a long time. He's been sober now for a very long time, mm. which is great because mm. Because he was headed down a really bad road. It's amazing, actually. When I hear of people who've been drinking for a very long time and they're a little older and they get clean, I'm astounded by that. Well, he got really sick in 2006, and the doctors told him that that was it. Don't, that was Mr. it. A or B, got, baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he and he went cold turkey, and he's never wow. gone back. But our relationship during my teenage years was very tumultuous, as it is. But then when you throw alcohol in there, and then you throw a very chaotic yeah just childhood in general yeah. and i've basically been raising myself since i was 15 hmm. i went to live with my grandparents and my dad when my parents marriage blew up when i was 5 on easter morning when i was 5 years old my dad packed some garbage bags and said that he would be back for me but he had to go which he did but he came back on the weekends and he was trying to get custody of me because my mother was really in no shape to take care of me a few months after that, it all happened. Uh, I was at a babysitter's because she had a job like a couple of doors down where I where I lived. She worked at like a hot dog stand. She had uh, a nervous breakdown, or you know, in the seventies, what you would deem a ner nervous breakdown. And they had to come and take her to the hospital. And my dad came and took me, and he's like, "Take some clothes, and we're going to live with your grandparents." You know, five and a half, six years old, you're already feeling displaced. Now, my grandmother was my guardian angel. My grandmother was the epitome of saintly. Mm. And the good thing about that is, is because my grandmother is as devout a Catholic as she was, okay? She never let that get in the way of humanity. And mm. she's the one who taught me. It doesn't matter what color the skin is. It doesn't matter where they come from. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't mm. matter. The fact is, is that you treat everybody with respect and you treat everybody like a human being. 
when I was 15 and in high school, she fell and broke her hip and I was ready to quit high school so I could be home and take care of her. But nobody trusted me to do that. Nobody wanted me to quit high school either because my dad worked nights. So he would go to work at nine o'clock and I would be in the house from nine until the next day. Now, nobody knew that because obviously if somebody had known that, somebody probably would have come knocking on the door and been like, uh, you can't be in the house by yourself. Now that would never fly now, but this is, you know, this is the eighties. Yeah. But I will say this, the thing about that, that really solidified me was I was able to take care of myself mm. and I didn't have to worry about the chaos all the time of just the erratic behavior of my dad. So that allowed me to filter some confidence in myself. I've been doing the excavating. Jerry Colana, he was a, a big guy in Silicon Valley, wrote a book called Reboot. Reboot. Yeah, and Reboot. he talks about excavating the wrecks of your life because the only way that you can grow up is to go back and, and look at all that. Because hmm. that's what really growing up is, is accepting what has been and using that to further you. So I hadn't found that yet, obviously, but the Wayne Dyer words started the path to recovery. To me, what recovery is, is recovery is just uncovering what was always there and discovering that you are a lot more resilient than you ever give yourself credit for. Mm -hmm. I'm still a work in progress, just like we all are. Hell yeah, man. I'm still a work in progress, man. So when was the Wayne Dyer moment? 2013? Yeah, 2013. And that's what started the start to wake up a little bit and yeah. say, okay, maybe this isn't necessarily the right choice. Right. So what I'm thinking is how many days, weeks, months is it from the moment in the mirror after the Christmas would, photograph to Wayne Dyer moment? I would say about three. Okay. So you got through those months. Obviously, you're I, still here. You did not end your life. 2013, 2020. Yes. You are okay-ish. Yeah, I have hard days, but I've learned I've learned tools. But what I've learned the most is is that helping other people is the biggest thing that you can do for anyone. Just like what you're doing on this podcast by giving people a space to tell their story. And I hope more people will come to you and say, I want to share my story because that's why I share my story. Because I yeah. want people to be comfortable to share their story. So you still with your wife? Yes. It's fantastic. Actually, you did say that earlier. I don't want to sound trite, but that's good. Like in that you got through that shit. Yeah. 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 We There's got another human shit. being in the world who's like, all right, I'm going to stick around for a little longer at least. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not saying that there's not lasting effects to that. Sure. And your daughter, you have a relationship with her. Oh yeah. She's going to be 10 next year. She's, she's amazing. The thing about it is, is that the reason why I choose to stay is that I'm the one where the cycle ends. I'm the one who ends the cycle. What I've learned through my work with uh, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and, and learning about suicide itself is when you have a family member that attempts, yep. you are more likely to attempt. What I realize is, is that it's my job to break the cycle and do my damnedest to try to keep it from, from going on. Right. I mean, you do all you can do. You do what you can do. That's you right. You do what you can do. Was it two years ago, more or less, or a year and a half ago, you started a podcast with your partner, Tim? Uh, June of 2019, Above Ground Podcast released its first episode. 2015, I started to perform again. I was having a really hard time. I felt like I was transparent. 
I felt like I was an imposter. Yeah. 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 I felt like I was, I couldn't be myself because I didn't really know who I was at that point in 2015. Mm. I was just starting to come out of the darkness, so to speak, and try to figure out what I was going to do with the things that I had experienced and what I had learned to that point, which I hadn't learned much. And I said that I will never stop performing again because I I just won't because I like it too much. So whether I perform once a year or a hundred times a year, I don't care anymore. I just... I just want to create and and still have that be a part of me because it's such a big part of me. Around 2016, I started Googling and I said, I need to do something with my story. So I Googled and found the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. I went to a training for a program that they have called Talk Saves Lives. And I started, I worked a couple events and then I hadn't really done a lot and I don't have any professional degree or anything. I don't have any college. I didn't finish college, but they asked me to join the board, our capital region board in 2019. So, Mm. so I've been doing that the last couple of years, but well, I have a master's degree and no one's ever asked me to join any fucking board. Well done, sir. (laughs) For what it's worth. The master's isn't shit. I kind of backed into it. Nobody's asked me to do shit. So congrats on that, bro. In October of 2020, I got my provisional uh, peer support certificate through New York State. But the thing about it is that like, I felt that because I survived all this, that I have a mandate on my birth certificate that says you have to help somebody get through. That's a good word. Mandate applies to me. Well, you get to a point where truly you really don't have any other choice. Not, not from externally. You're like, nah, there's no fucking way I can't take some of this stuff and use it somehow. When Tim and I finally started to get together and do the podcast, Tim and I hadn't talked to each other in a few years. We started to talk and I told him a little bit about my stuff and he told him told me about a little bit about his stuff. And I said, look, man, I said, I've been wanting to do a podcast. I said, we should get together and do a podcast. And he actually had the same idea. It took about another year for it to really come to fruition. Above ground podcast, because you can't serve below. Nice. You can't serve anyone below, man. You can only serve as a cautionary tale. Above ground. Obviously, people can find it. They can search for it. Yep. We're doing the work, man. (laughs) A year and a half later with Tim as your partner, you satisfied with their work? Very satisfied, man. It's it's satisfying because we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. It feels good. And and I did a keynote in 2019 for the National Alliance of Mental Illness in New York State. Like this is all, you know, trying to come together for something. I don't know what it's going to lead to, but you know, it, what it leads to at the end of the day is, is if we get one person's ears and it puts an idea into their head to seek treatment or not hurt themselves or or help someone else, That's then it's, then it's enough, man. There's somebody out there who was feeling like you were feeling in 2012. You don't know them. They're listening. What do you tell them, if anything? If I was in a room with them, I mm-hmm. would just ask them what happened to them and, mm-hmm. listen, and listen to them. But what I would say is if somebody's listening, you are way stronger than your worst moment. Hmm. regardless of whether you believe that or not you are and the world needs your light the world needs as many lumens as it can get right now regardless of whether you feel like you have nothing to give you will always have something to give if i can do it you can do it no matter what 
somebody in somebody's life is suffering like you were in 2012 or many others that were sort of dealing with this stuff, ideating, planning, maybe attempting, they mean well. We had this conversation, right? Yes, well intentioned. They're not douchebags. They're not assholes. They really want to help. They're not sure what to say. No, Will, you don't know much about them beyond that. They're listening. You know what I'd say. What do you want to say? I, I, I'm going to echo you, Sean. Just shut nice. the fuck up and let them listen. <laughs> just shut the fuck up and listen. Just ask them, yeah. what do you need to talk about? And then just let them talk. That has stuck with me since we talked. I never even thought about it. And it, and it, and that works in every part of your life. Kind of does. Not just, not just in this, but everything. And I just have sh- to use the word fuck in there. Yeah. Just shut the fuck up. You can't That's just all. say shut up. It's you just, you've got to include the fuck. Um, yes. <laughs> I, it's just a different thing when you add fuck. How many people who know you yes. podcast listener in Nebraska probably doesn't count. Know that about 2012 and what you went through. Uh, not many. I mean, more now, right. because obviously I talk about it. And if you follow me on social media, I've been really open about my struggles. And I'm, I'm really open about my depression, for sure, mm-hmm. because normalizing the abnormal or what we view as abnormal is like the biggest first step that you can take. Because mm-hmm. so many people feel like they're, they're broken or they're, there's something wrong with them because they have these feelings. and no, there's nothing wrong with you. We all have these feelings. Just sometimes those feelings get overwhelming and you don't know what to do. Again, it doesn't become an option until it becomes an option. Mm-hmm. And when it becomes an option, then you that's a different story. There's different endings to those things and that, that you have to take that very seriously. Yeah. And when people say, oh, it's never an option. If you say it's never an option, either you're lying to yourself or you've never been in that darkness because yeah. let me tell you that darkness sucks and I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Now, granted every day is, I mean, not every day is great and there's always a little bit of that there, but it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I was actually going to ask uh segue the, how often, if ever, do you ideate? You think about killing yourself in passing sometimes, I will tell you this. Uh, we lost a really good friend of ours in 2019. That was a tough one. But the thing about it was, is that re- I hadn't seen him in a few months before. And when I did see him about four or five months before that happened, I asked him how he was doing. And he said he was okay. But I didn't put the two and two together because I didn't see the, we don't oh. know. Yeah, that was uh that was a tough one, man. I've lost I've lost several close friends um over the years. My first experience outside of my mother's own attempts. I was a junior in high school and uh my first period of the day was was choir. And we had a girl in our choir who wasn't there on Monday. Mm. And we were told that she died by suicide and she died in a very violent way. She was 16 and I knew her brother and I knew her sister. I didn't know her very well. And she was beautiful. My keynote that I did in 2019 was called Memoir, Singing My Way Out of the Darkness. And I used my story, but I also told the story of my friend that Tim and I, my buddy, Pat, 
who was Tim and my friend. And then I also told the story of another friend of mine who was Adam. Adam Knapp was a super talented singer, songwriter and stuff. And uh, he died by suicide. That one hurt. That one hurt a lot too. It's there, man. It's you, you hear the, what the, what is it? The six degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever it used to be there. Mm -hmm. I think that we're all, we're all one degree of mental illness. And then you're only two to three degrees off of, off of someone dying, man. Yeah. What are the chances that above ground, you and Tim will create a band and call it the above ground, something band and play music together. Not going to happen. Not happen. Anything else, my man? Uh, open-ended stuff. Anything else you want to add? I don't always ask the right questions or the best questions. So yeah, I still perform music and yep. I'm going to have, I'm going to be releasing some new music in 21. Nice. And the first thing that I'm going to release is a single called memoir, which mm. is basically my musical ode to my depression. Looking forward to that, man. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I was demoing it before we got on the call right. and I'm actually recording Sunday. Yeah, it'll be me playing guitar. It'll be me singing. I have another guitar player who's working with me also. That's a great guitar player because I can't, I can't play everything just because I can't play fat. Like I can't play like a lead guitar player plays. I'm a rhythm guy. I'm not a. I have no idea what that means, uh, but I get worry. what you're saying. Yes. The lead guy <laughs> can just rock out and go crazy. Yeah, exactly. The guy needs a little slower and to feel it, I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks, man. This has been uh, great. I appreciate you being so open and honest. I expected that and you did not. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Always. Dude, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on, man. I was hoping that I wouldn't let you down because. No, honestly, know, I didn't... You, can't, you can't let down if you're honest. That's it. It's period. Yeah, dude. You know, that's it, man. It's me. There's a lot of dudes, a lot of people that need to hear it, but there's also a lot of guys, 40s. They're the, I mean, I know you're not directing it at them, but we're in the same demographic. That's the demographic that's the most hit. Right. And we can even go further, like 40s, white. Yes. Blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Between 30. Middle age, or maybe just whatever that means, early middle age. The one thing you and I maybe both of us can do is continue to create spaces where guys can maybe feel comfortable to, to share stuff. Yes. Because that's, that's the whole what a idea. lot of them aren't doing. And it doesn't mean if you share stuff, you won't want to end your life. You might. But fuck, holding that shit in all the time, there's no good end there. No, dude. It's like, I, you know, I kind of equate it to the a Christmas carol. Like it's when Marley comes back and he's carrying the chains and he's... And he's the goat. And it's like, you're carrying all this shit around, can't. man. And you can't do it. You can You'll, only. Yep. You can muscle it out for a while. Grit it yeah. out for a while. Until you can't anymore. And then you get a little older and a little tireder. Yeah. And you're <laughs> tireder. And yeah, it adds up and it adds up and move on. And you look in the mirror and I'm not referencing you, but it's true, metaphorical or literal. And you're like, I was just talking to my uh, other podcast that I do, my partner. And we were like, Dude, we know people who've died of heart attacks. Like, and not just, and this could have been said years ago, but just at this moment, we're like, yeah, this like actually happens. Oh, absolutely. Die, yeah. And we're like, what the fuck? And it was just a weird moment of like, it's just easy to get caught up in your stuff and you're doing your stuff. And you're like, there are people that just our age, and it's not that uncommon. That's the thing. It's not like an, an aneurysm. Right. Where it's like, yeah, sure. That's one in a million. Heart attacks, not that, you know, it's just like, it just, you just stop for a moment. And you're, wow. Wow. I do want to leave you with this, man. Sure. Thinking about that. Yes. Like when someone gets to the point that that is 
That's the idea, okay, of ending it. Yep. You lose your fear of death. Right. But what I'm what I was always more afraid of was living. Right. I've never been at like death seemed to be pretty welcome at a certain point. Right. But you look at the world differently after you after you look at death that way. Right. Because you kind of got one up on people because most people are afraid to die. Mm-hmm. But living in living in pain is the scary part. So, and the only way to get rid of that pain, man, is to is to let the steam valve off, and that's, this is how we do it. We talk to each other. We, a huge you know, we put stuff out there, man. You know, that's that's how it's done. Well, thanks for doing what you do, man. Not only joining me here, but also all the other work, including Above Ground Podcast. Absolutely, man. And thank you for doing Suicide Noted. Uh, and congratulations on Grit. Thanks, man. Like, that's awesome. We're working man. it. We're working it. We're doing both. Uh, I, this is only my, this podcast is mine. The other one is that partnership. Keeping me busy. Um, but it's a good busy. Like you said, it's the work that I need to be doing in a selfish in a way, but I'm fucking thrilled to be selfishly doing something that in some way might be helping. So that's that. Dude, all altruism comes from a little bit of selfishness. Yeah. Because you wouldn't want to help if you didn't feel like you could, had something to give or, you know, there's something about it. It's just that it's, it becomes a different thing. If it's a selfish indulgence, you don't get anywhere with it. It just right. becomes this weight that you carry around with you. But when you're, when you're really just, yeah. when you really just want to give it out, you really do get it back and you're doing it, man. And you are too, man. Thanks, man. Awesome, man. Really Thanks. Have a great it. night, man. Happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the holidays if I don't get to talk to you. I will. Be well. Yeah. Peace. As always, thanks so much for listening and special thanks to Will up in New York. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, email us, please. Hello at suicidenoted.com. Follow us on social media at suicidenoted. We release new episodes every Monday morning. I hope you keep listening. Until we connect again, stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.